Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast that this week will probably sound a lot like the conversations you had at high school sleepovers when you were trying to pull an all-nighter. Do you like that? That's new. I was like, we're <laughs> it from my notes thinking, this is something I haven't heard before, but it's quite accurate. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Zara McDonald, the girl over there, and Michelle Andrews. That's me. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Coming up on today's show, the Dolce & Gabbana Chinese runway that went catastrophically wrong, why Roxy Jasenko has a stronghold on the Australian media, and why we're obsessed with the bold type, Stan's modern answer to what millennial women want. But first, Zara. Tell me about your week. My week was probably more uneventful than yours because I was not on holidays. Mm. I just worked really uneventfully. I have to say, I was thinking over the, over the weekend, I really tried to shut off because when you were away, I was trying to handle all our emails and things like that and work full time. And I, so I thought on the weekend, I'll just sleep. And I, I have this totally unscientific thought that two solid sleeps is enough to refresh you like a holiday. Okay, interesting. Don't you think? Well, that sounds very true right now because we are both operating on a bit of sleep deprivation. I did not sleep a wink last night. so <laughs> I am operating on zero hours of sleep. The last time I slept feels like a lifetime ago. I love those feelings. Yeah, my flight got delayed too many times to count. Yeah. Not too many times, it was three times. And I am delirious. Mitch is at home right now sleeping mm. in our bed and I am so jealous. Asshole. Yeah. But that's okay. We're here. We're here. And we're so excited. We're so happy to be here. It's Monday morning. It's very early. I'm not going to lie. I ran through the airport to get here. No, I know. You put it on Instagram, so you can't pretend that nobody knows that. I you looked, put it on social media. I looked like one of those people running for a flight, except everyone would have been you so confused because I was way. running away from a flight to home. People just would have thought you were running to work, mm. which is what you were well, doing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you read, listen, watch much? Uh, no, to be honest, my really? screen time went down drastically. Oh, screen time's okay. Yeah. Uh, I read a couple of books, but they're books that we already spoke about because you've already <laughs> recommended them. Sorry. I did not like Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. Yeah. I thought that was by far her weakest book mm. to date. I'm just going to be so savage. I'm running on no sleep. Well, that's so the thing. Was- I think I was quite kind about it. I was relatively kind when I recommended it because I was very nervous about being harsh about her because she's like the best Australian novelist, female novelist I think we have at the moment. Oh, she's my favourite. Yeah. So I love her, but I hated that book. Mm. I, I read the entire thing just thinking it's going too slow. I don't really care about the characters apart from Zach. I'm not going to give any of the storylines away. People who have read the book will know who Zach is. Uh, and then when the actual big unfolding of the main event happened, I was just going, fucking bullshit. This is not true this wouldn't happen yeah. I can't picture it happening that's I think the biggest thing about that book is it's very hard to picture it all happening the characters don't feel as nuanced as her characters used to feel or have mm. felt in the past they sort of just felt like themes or stereotypes or caricatures that I couldn't really penetrate and get to know maybe, maybe because there's too many of them as well yeah as you said that I figured out what it might have been I didn't visualize many yeah. of them at all I could not visualize the main character for the life Francis. of me I could not picture what she Same. looked like I struggled with that Be- and Masha or Mar- Marsha. I could not picture her. The only people I could picture were the young family. Yeah, Zoe. Who yep. were going through grief. And I think her picture of that was really amazing. But apart from that, I really struggled with that book. They were really the only strong thread throughout the entire totally. thing. My holiday was great. Uh, I do have one recommendation. We will, of course, put the rest in our new recommendations newsletter. My one recommendation would be to listen to Rosie Waterland's interview on Nine Honeys Failing Fabulously podcast. Have you listened? No, I haven't. I really enjoy Rosie Waterland's interviews. She's done a few on different podcasts that I really enjoy. And this one was just interesting. She spoke about the fact that she publicly shamed her boyfriend when he ghosted her and broke up with her. And then had to awkwardly tell all her fans that they actually got back together. Yeah, I remember this. Mm. That's really interesting. I will listen to that. Uh, on the topic of recommendations, if we're just going rogue with recommendations on here and on our newsletter, <laughs> I have been reading a really great book, but it's a different kind of book that I didn't think that I would normally be into. It's called The Arsonist by Chloe Hooper. Have you heard of it? No, it doesn't it's, sound like my type of thing either. It's, it's around a lot at the moment um, and it's about Black Saturday and it's it's written in a way that is it's obviously non-fiction but it's written in a way that i think is called creative fiction where it sounds and reads like a novel hmm. so you are reading it and you're you know flipping the pages as if it's a novel going back through the fires and the investigation into finding someone who did this so it's it it kind of reads like a thriller 
Um, when I read the back of the book, I wasn't that sold on it, but I, I had a few people at work who were talking about it and a lot of people say it's it's really brilliant. It is very good. It's also very heavy. Mm. I was quite young when the Black Saturday bushfires were on. I think we would have been about 14. I think I was, yeah, yeah. high school, but young high school. And obviously I knew what was going on and I just didn't read much about it. And the the horror of that day and and the fact that that horror was deliberate by somebody is one of the most awful things I think you can think about. And just the detail that she goes into is quite extraordinary. I would recommend it. Just go slowly through it. I think it's meant to be a fast paced read, but it Mm. can be a lot, especially for a lot of people in Victoria. The story can hit quite close to home. Yeah, especially in regional areas. Um, totally. But I think it's also a really important read into how they actually get these people because how how police find a, an arsonist blows my mind. Well, this will sound ridiculous, and I'm guessing you can give me some sort of answer because you're I reading finished it. it yet, if you're an arsonist and everything is burnt to the ground, it'd be very hard to then find evidence totally. because it's all been scorched. Yes, that, but I think they look at the way the fire moved and where the fire moved and how it started. Are there things around that could suggest it could have naturally come together? Yeah. Or is it sort of just like one spot and it's gone Artificial. from there? The, I'm clearly not an expert, but from my reading that of the very, very scientific, <laughs> my reading of the start of it, it seemed to be there was obviously a very clear process that they went through. And to be honest, that wasn't the hardest part of it. It was finding the person. Okay, amazing. Before we actually do get on to the first uh, segment of the show, because we've got a long one this morning for you, Michelle, we did want to take a, a little bit of time before we started to explain something to you guys that we've been involved with that we really wanted to share. We are here wearing a couple of orange t-shirts yeah we'll actually be wearing orange t-shirts for the next few episodes uh and we'll put it all over our social media as well so you can see that we're working with respect victoria on their orange card campaign which is basically to increase awareness about violence against women but violence of all kinds as well the types of insidious violence or insidious behaviors that result in derogatory and harmful attitudes towards women. Well, I think that's the most important part of it because I think when we talk about violence against women um, and domestic violence and family violence altogether, it can be very hard for people to think about what they can possibly do. But this whole Orange Card campaign is talking about calling people out when friends or family might say something really disrespectful about women because that is where it all starts. And I know some people think that's too long of a bow to draw, but that is what the facts tell us, that derogatory out of attitudes towards women is what causes eventual violence against women. So it's all about calling people out when you hear people say, even if it's a joke, even if it's just not a very funny joke, something derogatory about a woman, that's what they call drawing their orange card. Kind of like a yellow card or red card oh, in football. Well, look at you with the sport knowledge. That's that's where it came from. Yeah, it is. And we're <laughs> super excited to be ambassadors for this cause. We've spoken about it so much in the past, so it obviously means a lot to us and we're really keen to get on board. But also for you guys to get on board that we're going to be using it on social media or even on the podcast and different segments that we talk about, even just saying it out loud. So we'd love if you guys could get behind the campaign too and really raise awareness for Respect Victoria. Please do jump on board with us. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. Now for the first segment, we are obviously starting with Dolce and Gabbana because that's where everybody else has been this week. Did it go over your head or did it go into your head when you were away? See... It's I funny. feel like there's a bit of a divide between us on these type of stories because you are in more of a fashion-y little niche where... That is not a little niche okay, at all. Okay, you're in a vast fashion-y niche that you take a lot of interest in fashion stuff. And yes, I did see this story. I am not completely sold as to why it was the biggest deal ever in fashion. I, th- I would like you to give a bit of context no, for anyone who didn't I think that's really interesting it. because it was not something that I saw was going to explode as it was happening. But I think it's more, to be honest, I don't think it's a fashion thing. I think it's a business thing, um, the fact that it's been so huge. So context before we actually start. Dolce & Gabbana, obviously one of the most well-known luxury fashion brands in the world. Michelle probably doesn't even know who they are. Who? No, um, they, I did watch the Devil Wears Prada. I know who they've they been try- <laughs> <laughs> They've been trying to tap into the Chinese market for a little while now. And they were holding a runway in Shanghai. And to advertise this runway, they released a couple of ads that 
ignited extreme and extraordinary backlash from the moment that they released them. It was basically showing a Chinese model trying to eat cannelloni with chopsticks. And the inference was that Western and, and Chinese culture sort of can't intersect. It was, it was weird. Almost like Asian women won't get it and can't get totally, it. Totally. Totally. Wow. Um, and then when a couple of people took Jolchin Gabbana on Instagram to task about it, Stefano Gabbana very stupidly responded to some of them extremely ignorantly and racistly too. And so these people are getting these screenshots and sending them on to Diet Prada, which is sort of like the fashion industry watchdog now on Instagram. And Diet Prada's uploading this stuff saying, we cannot believe he's writing this on his own Instagram account. Obviously, he said later that his Instagram was hacked, but of course that sort it was. of, it, it sort of didn't gain any traction when he said that. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, right. Okay. But. <laughs> That does sound bad. That sounds extremely racist. So I understand why then they closed down their show, didn't they? They had yeah. all the models pull out. The show was cancelled. They had products withdrawn from Chinese e-commerce sites. So I know Netta Porter removed all Dolce & Gabbana products from their Chinese wow. sites. High-profile influencers started disparaging the company. People started burning their Dolce & Gabbana stuff. The Chinese government was even asked about it. And they sort of didn't want to raise this to a real diplomatic level. So they kind of backed away. But interesting that that's how far it reached from Diet Prada all the way to the Chinese government. I think it's big also when you ask why it's so big, because for a very long time, there's very much been a divide between the fashion industry and the consumer in that it's relatively snobby and it feels like maybe the industry is becoming a little more democratic. Yeah. Well, Diet Prada is an interesting one to me. Does anyone know who Diet Prada is? Well, I don't think so. I tried to Google it and I don't think so, which I thought was interesting because this week, one half of Diet Prada came forward and and acknowledged that the reason this meant a lot to them is because she was um, Chinese American. Yeah. So I first came across Diet Prada, I think it was last year or the year before, when she exposed an Australian retailer or stylist using fake designer stuff on influencers and celebrities. That was a wild time. Yeah, you had a lot of fun with that story. (laughs) And I was kind of just sitting back being like, okay, cool. People are wearing fake garments. I don't get it. But she does seem to cut There's more than one of them. Oh, okay. I think there's two of them. It's a little tribe. Yeah. Okay, that's really cool. Well, it's really exciting. I find that part really exciting oh, totally. that there's these two women who just through the power of having their phones are managing to bring down these dinosaurs in an industry who are so disrespectful and ignorant. And I think the funniest part about this story for me, which is not, not funny at all, is that Dolce & Gabbana have been known for being pretty racist and pretty ignorant for a very long time. And it's sort of just a shrug your shoulders attitude. Everybody's just used to it. But I think that fashion becomes more democratic the more access we have to social media. And I know that there must be a huge generational shift going on here because this is a generation growing up with social media who are told that their voice matters. And I know that can breed a lot of arrogance and it can breed a lot of vanity, but it also breeds a lot of people thinking that they have a lot of important things to say and wanting to bring down big brands because they feel like they can, which I think is quite important. Yeah, absolutely. It's just interesting that I don't know whether it's so much racism that the Chinese people are rebelling against or if it's a sense of patriotism. I feel like maybe both. I feel like it is a combination of both, but I think patriotism here is really important. I think it's now because they have the power to do that because mm. there's there's so much money in the country. So Chinese consumers are currently responsible for 32% of luxury goods sales worldwide. Shit. That number is expected to grow to 40% by 2024, at which point the Chinese will drive 75% of growth of the global market. So I think it's also a power thing in that they finally have the power to talk yeah. about these things. Not that they have never cared, but they have the they have the wallets now that they can close and that's huge, huge to big business in the luxury market. Absolutely. So what happens from here? Have either of the men or Stefano is Stefano, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> has, yes. has, he, has he stepped down? No, not at all. And they oh. won't. They are Dolce and Gabbana. They have released sort of some overly earnest eye rolly apology. Um, but I think the story had moved too fast that nobody quite caught the apology. I, I don't think that anything will happen internally with the company, but for sure, a lot of experts who are being interviewed, cause you know, every, every big major news organization just getting a marketing expert or a, you know, e-commerce expert to talk. And a lot of people think that it won't ruin the business, but they will have no, not a lot of growth from here. Because if they can't crack into that Chinese market, they're really going to struggle to grow in the next few years. Suckers. Exactly. Would hate to be a racist. 
glasses. Totally. <laughs> it's a really good message, I think, that if you cannot understand your consumer and what your consumer wants and you'll struggle. I did just want to end on a quote from one of the girls from Diet Prada who wrote on Instagram this week, the takeaway is loud and clear. Respect the consumer of the market you want to profit from. You're not bestowing them a gift. You're taking their money. See people as something more than just one line on the annual revenue report. Boom. Anything like that is good business. Love that. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle. I don't know how in tune you were with the news cycle, Michelle, while you were away. So this will be interesting. I've done my best. All right. My first story. This one... I'm so Don't clickbait it before it's happened. Oh, I'm so angry about this. Number one, fans are convinced Kim Kardashian just photoshopped North to look thinner. Pedestrian. For because- anyone who's not aware, North is her child. North. That was a baby's name. Northwest. Or <laughs> child's name now. Never gets old. This was probably the most fucked up celebrity story of 2018. True? False? No, for sure. And I love how they said fans are convinced. No, we know. We've seen the, the- photographic evidence that someone behind Kim Kardashian's Instagram account, whether it was a personal assistant, I don't know if she has her own photographer, editor, whatever, or her, she did it herself. Is Maybe Kanye what, did it. Is that what we're assuming, that, that it was definitely leaked? Leaked? No, the, the, photo, photo? the photo appeared on two different accounts. So uh, clearly it had been like a family holiday photo or something right. of the kind. That's how a lot of the time, for anyone who missed this story, celeb face, who we've discussed in the past often exposes celebrities' photoshopping habits online by getting the original photo, which has to appear somewhere else, and then getting the celebrity's photo, which yeah. often looks doctored, they've enlarged their eyes, or in this case, Kim Kardashian slimmed down North's stomach. I'm sorry, most kids tend to have a tummy. I remember having tummy as a kid. It's like Not the only age the world lets you get away with it when you're a woman. Absolutely. So I, yeah, the reason I know that is I wrote a story for news.com.au earlier in the year where I looked at how Celeb Face did that. Yeah. And I actually went through and found examples for myself of Chloe Kardashian photoshopping herself, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm so sick of us pretending that the Kardashians do any good. They do very small good things interspersed with a whole lot of shit that is just ridiculous and disgusting and immoral and wrong. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend anymore that the Kardashians are good for the world. Because if you're a mother putting Photoshop photos of your five-year-old daughter on the internet to make her look skinnier, that is the most fucked up thing ever. Good luck to that young daughter, truly. I think they're very good at making their good deeds be the most high-profile parts of their personalities or their brand. For example, that clemency thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was good, but like, how much else has Kim Kardashian done to make women, including her own young daughter, feel inadequate about their own bodies? No, absolutely. And if if Celeb Face wasn't around to pick that up, it's not something that we would know Mm. at all, which I find the most disgusting thing of all. A terrible story altogether. Yeah, it is. God bless Celeb Face. My second story, Miranda Kerr talks babies, business, and why she's loving her mum bod, Marie Claire. Marie Claire. Fuck. Oh, my God. It happened again. (laughs) I'm so tired that went over my head. Do you know that somebody messaged us on Instagram the other day asking us about for magazine recommendations and then said the only one that's in my head is Marie Claire, but only because Michelle calls it Marie Claire? She's not a 50-year-old mum of three. <laughs> Can we just clear up? It's Marie Claire. No, it's Marie Claire. I cannot believe this. What one is it? Well, I want you to guess. Marie Claire. Yeah, Marie Claire. Okay. All right, great. Sorry, continue. Marie Claire. <laughs> anyway, so I missed this story. You put this in. Why was Miranda Kerr talking okay. about her mum bod? Well, interesting. It was a classic case of Beyonce with the fupa. Um Fupa. Fupa. <laughs> yeah, wow. Do we cut? Do we keep this? No, we'll keep it's it. a wild ride. We'll keep it okay, let me go back to the start. I think it's a classic case of Beyonce with a fupa in that being interviewed about having a mum board or something wrong. But I was just desperately looking for photos of what she looked like now if she was willing to put it out there. She didn't. So she did an interview with Marie Claire Australia. It was short. It wasn't like a full-blown profile. It mm-hmm. was clearly just a, a phone or something like that or a quick 
very, very quick sit down. She talked about how she is loving her mum bod that after having a kid, she's not really that stressed about getting into shape. Now, I don't actually know what Miranda Kerr looks like now. So I feel like that will inform my opinion on the story. Yeah. I also feel like maybe I kind of softened as you explained that. Same. Because maybe Miranda Kerr's definition of what a mum bod is for her compared to what her body's looked like her entire life is not the generic definition of what a mum bod looks like however in yourself if your body changed regardless of how much that is obvious to the outside world it's still changing Uh, this you you explain that really well in that i softened a lot as i got through the story and i thought for someone like miranda kerr who has i think stirred a lot of bullshit when it comes to birth and natural birth and how a lot of young women or young mums have taken that upon themselves as sort of pseudo judgment she has done you know she has had some funny opinions about these kinds of things this is just a really honest really clear one that doesn't come with a photo but I don't actually think it needs to I think it's just her saying it doesn't really matter what I look like right now Mm, absolutely my third story the first bachelor in paradise love triangle could be Florence Alex and Bill that is from pedestrian so you I feel it I find it funny that for all the stories you've been across it's bachelor in paradise news I'm not even across this I just I am so excited for the bachelor in paradise to come back not purely because it's the best production on television which that goes to love island we all know that because it's channel 10's first chance of redemption to win back our hearts after they crushed them with they're really gonna have to go rogue who's alex uh alex that's um alex was with richie alex nation yeah sorry alex nation of course (laughs) (laughs) how could i forget alex nation isn't alex nation back with her partner no, I don't. I don't think so. That was a roller coaster of emotions and set up paparazzi shots. Because she had those set up paparazzi shot, shots yes. breaking up, and yes. then I saw photos on Instagram of them getting back together. But that was only a month or two ago. Oh, it seems like they're not. Right, she's, she's on in Fiji, and Bill is Bill with the uh, grey dye yeah, in front of his isn't hair. That a bit. He looks. His hair looks like it's fit for a forty-year-old, and his face looks like a twenty-year-old. I it's wonder very if it's dyed. If I mean, regardless, it's it looks good. But I wonder if he's trying to do that old. Dilf kind of thing without kids. <laughs> and then there's Florence, who has been on every season of The Bachelor. She's not since going back inception. on. That went over my head as well. That's crazy. They need to stop recycling people like that. I love, like, mm, if Florence do they listens, I don't think she does. But if she does, just give her a rest. I don't reckon. Go back to work. Not Honestly, <laughs> how much money do you reckon you get paid for that? Nothing. You reckon? Just a free holiday. Endorsement deals after. Yeah, for what? Teeth whitener and G-string undies one week and then I, nothing the next. I'd take, the, I'd take the money, Michelle. All right. My... F- Fourth story, Jamila Jamil hopes celebrities shit their pants in public. That is from Jezebel. Good headline if I've ever seen one. I do too. This was obviously, obviously, about uh, the various celebrities who spruik detox and diet teas, which are yes. a very fancy term for diuretic teas. You are correct. And she is obviously firstly referencing Chloe Kardashian, who did an ad for Flat Tummy Co. again this week, which just blew my mind mm. that they would be willing to do that again. How much must this company be paying the Kardashians for them to put their reputations on the line and do these ads? Yeah, it's so It must be up. a crazy amount of money also Um, it's not like let's just look at the science here it is not an effective weight loss treatment if you want to lose weight exercise more and eat a healthier more balanced diet yeah that is it like all these gimmicks are just such bullshit i'm swearing a lot today this is what happens when i'm sleep deprived (laughs) but i agree with her i hope they all shit their pants i took diuretic teas when i was 18 and 19 and they are horrible and awful beyond belief not only because they make you cramp like no tomorrow and make you so uncomfortable but because they taste disgusting interesting so bad so bad. I saw someone review one on YouTube a year ago and she's like, oh, it actually tastes really nice. And I was just like, have paid for this? That is such a crap. No, it doesn't. Oh, my fifth story. Not even Selena Gomez music can damper Justin Bieber and Hayley Baldwin's hockey game makeout from Elle magazine. That is an interesting story. As if Justin Bieber and Hayley Baldwin can ignore or avoid selena gomez being music being played in public like she's played in public a lot yeah but it is awkward the dj apparently they walked into a hockey match clearly i thought it was a basketball match but l magazine has proven me wrong walked into the match and the dj started playing selena gomez music i think it was the one about the werewolves but i'm not sure the one about the werewolves. <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that what Justin if- Bieber and Hayley Baldwin are married and nothing really came out about it? No wedding pics. 
I love how they, they just changed their name on Instagram. Or when I say they, Haley just changed her name on Instagram and maybe just assumed the world would fall over itself. The world didn't stop turning. Have In fact, realized, very few people cared. Have you realized her name is now her full name? Haley Road Bieber. Why is that interesting? Haley Road Bieber. Think about it. Oh, <laughs> see, I told you it's early. <laughs> Is that, is that his full really name in the bio? Yeah. Do you get the sense that if this was a rom-com, he has chosen the wrong woman? No, but do you? Yes, absolutely. I honestly don't think about Justin Bieber's love life. No, me much. either, but I'm just saying if this was a movie and that he was fighting for two girls, he's absolutely picked the wrong one you as know far what? as the story's meant to go. You know why you're saying that? It's because the blonde one is always deemed the wrong one. The brunette's always like and the, the girl young, next door. And she's the younger one and she's the second one. Mm. See? All of the factors. <laughs> they won't last, but neither will he. He will never get back with Selena Gomez. And if he does, it will last two seconds. They'll do another bike riding date for the paps. For some stop. reason, I'll always root them and I have absolutely no idea. And who I'm, when I say them, I mean Selena and Justin, not this Haley business. You mean Jelena? No, I would never go that far. <laughs> hey, is that all you've got for me? <laughs> That's all. Mish, I am so happy this episode is sponsored by our friends at Over the Moo. I have had so many friends over the years complain about their lactose intolerance, and it's amazing that with Over the Moo, they never have to miss out again. Never. I'm the exact same. I have a few friends who are vegan, and they love Over the Moo. And the fact that it's made from coconut cream instead of like dairy or milk yeah. products, the crazy thing is that Over the Moo ice cream tastes exactly like the real thing. So even if you're not vegan or if you're intolerant to dairy, you're going to absolutely adore their delicious flavor. I have to say my my absolute favorite at the moment is their caramel flavor, which has ripples of salted caramel sauce mixed with toffee balls. Oh, What's yum. yours? <laughs> oh, I'm salivating. I'd have to go with chocolate. I just can't go past all those chocolate chips and the chocolate sauce. Oh. It's a classic, but they do it so yeah, well. No, it's so good. The best part is you'll never need to go searching because you can pick up Over the Moo's delicious ice cream from Coles, Woolworths and independent supermarkets right across Australia. We are so grateful to Over the Moo and their yummy ice cream for making this episode of Shameless possible. I'm not even interested in recording the rest of this episode. Just have a little ice cream break. BRB, guys. Well, in case you missed it, Roxy Jasenko has a book to sell and the queen of publicity is on a publicity tour of her own. Last night, it was an interview on Sunday night with husband Oliver Curtis to, in their own words, have closure on the drama surrounding their marriage and his high-profile prison stint. In a profile over the weekend by the Australian Financial Review, journalist Missa Hahn marvelled at how Roxy is now the publicist, the talent and the client all at once. And yet, despite the publicity and the success, a Australia isn't generally very enamoured with Roxy Jasenko. Mish, what is it about her? I have one word, and Ooh. I think it's ruthlessness. Right. I think we struggle with anyone, man or woman. I don't think this might. I don't think this is particularly gendered, really, at all. We struggle with anyone who will openly do whatever it takes to be on top. They will walk on people. They will sacrifice their own health, sacrifice their own social life. They will give everything to money and success and power. And I think someone who is so openly power hungry isn't a very warm person by default to the fact that they just want money and power above anything else. And that's that might not be who she is at her core, but that's certainly what she puts out on social media and certainly the impression she gives in a lot of her interviews. No, I think that's almost on the money apart from the fact that you say it's not necessarily gendered. I think it is definitely gendered because we don't hear about the men that are ruthless. In fact, we don't know the ones that stand on people to get to where they want to go because it's not worthy of a story. But there would be hundreds of them that do that. Hundreds. Who do we know that's a ruthless man? I'm just thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. Like. But how many of them would have done that to get to the top? I don't know. And, and I know Roxy puts her story out there and this is the narrative that she wants to tell. But I think the reason that we find it so jarring is because she's ruthless and she's a woman, not mm. just because she's ruthless. Mm. I think I'm growing to turn away. I think I've heard a lot. The reason I say that is I've heard a lot recently. People say that only women are described as polarizing or only women are described as divisive. And I don't actually think that's true. It's not true. But I think I've been thinking about this a lot. When you think about 
perhaps the Kerry Packers of the world, who was obviously not with us now, but he would have been absolutely ruthless. People would Nobody have just, liked Kerry People Packer. described him as ruthless, but it's coloured differently. The criticism is mm. absolutely coloured differently. It's coloured with elements of respect. Like, he is ruthless, but he's still got to where he wants to go. Do and he's su- Absolutely. Th- she is painted as a kind of silly... A frivolous woman who lacks class. I get the class element yeah. for sure. However, I do think, and this is obviously going into politics, but I think someone who just popped to mind was Kevin Rudd, the guy who would throw hairbrushes on planes and would openly get diff- two hours of sleep a night. That's and a no- different kettle of fish. I don't think you compare the two. No, because he was renowned as backstabbing and would do whatever it took. And I know that's politics is a different realm, but I still think Kevin Rudd is renowned as ruthless and that's why we don't he's like known, him. He's renowned as a narcissist. Kevin Rudd was an absolute different kettle of fish in that he was calculating and manipulative to an nth degree. I'm so Roxy's surprised I... brand is just ruthless. Mm, I'm so I'm... surprised I brought this on to Kevin. <laughs> it's about three minutes into the segment. Kevin 07. I uh, thought it was interesting that the AFR in this profile, you read the profile on the weekend as well, Yes, I did. called the Sunday night move, um, when I say the Sunday night move, the Sunday night interview, a textbook reputation management play. I didn't understand that because... Roxy's just on a book tour. And that's the other thing that surprised me about commentary around Roxy being around, particularly in our Facebook group, people saying, oh my God, she's got a book to sell. This is such interesting timing. When someone has a book to sell, they go on a publicity tour. They do every single thing that comes their way. They'll be doing radio interviews, uh, newspaper interviews, magazine interviews, television interviews. That's how it works. And she is by no means the only one that's ever done that. And it's also important to remember that Roxy Jusenko is incredibly popular with this demographic in this time slot. When she appeared on 60 Minutes in 2016, she dominated that spot. She had almost a million people tune into her explosive tell-all about her husband going to jail and her breast cancer. So clearly the rival in Sunday night knows that this formula works. It's a story and a person mm. that works for them and would have jumped at the chance. Obviously, it had to spook her book. The number of times she mentioned that she had just written a book and they mentioned it at the very end of the interview as well. It was completely organized around her book. That's that's the point. That's, of course, the point. I am really interested in Roxy the person, and it's taken me a few years. I've written pieces about her in the past, as you have, Zara, and I still can't really make sense of her in my head because nothing is off limits with what she shares, and it seems like the stories are just so sensational and a little bit crazy and hard to understand in that her life feels bigger than reality. Like I can't actually fit her into a box. So she shared details about her extramarital affair, about her former addiction to painkillers that saw her hospitalized, her nose job that went wrong, every little thought thing, her her altercation with her dad and his partner, Lisa Ho on the street. Mm. So many different things that play out on a public stage and I can't wrap my head around them. Her life feels like it's this caricature of this woman who doesn't exist in reality. I understand that and I think it's such a byproduct of us knowing every single thing about someone's life when we don't really know anything about anyone's life usually. I think that's what a lot of people find jarring in that here's a woman that doesn't spare details. She'll happily tell you how much she earns. She'll happily tell you how much the curtains in her office um, are worth. $70,000. Which was the opening line of the AFR profile. Her The curtains in a sweaty Betty office are worth 75 grand, which is an absurd amount of money, but she will happily tell you that. For me, I think it's a lack of humility or it's about humility because I think it's very rooted in what you value. And I find that jarring, not just sparing details, but a lack of humility. I think I was just raised to be subtle and quiet and not take up too much space and in a good way, not taking up too much space in a way that I might be edging into somebody else's space. Yeah, and not getting too big for your boots. Exactly. Roxy takes up a lot of space, both online and in the media. She is huge and she she rarely lets her work speak for herself. And I know that a lot of people I know just want to put their heads down and let their work speak for themselves. She speaks before the work and she's lucky in that her work is often very good, so she can. But this is the thing. She talks about everything. She has details about everything and she's not concerned at all about what we think and it kind of makes her the perfect Australian female villain. She's blonde, she's white, she's cosmetically enhanced, she's happy to commercialise her children, she 
happy to talk about money. Like these are all stop at nothing. Yeah. These are all the things we feel very uncomfortable with. Mm. I'm feeling like my opinion of her right now is possibly tainted because Mm. as all of these delays happened to myself last night, I found myself downloading Annette Sharp's unauthorized biography. Yes, we should say unauthorized. So Roxy Jusenko came out when this was released in 2016 after all of the court drama and her husband was in prison and slammed it. Basically, it's a work of fiction and said it was not true. However, Annette Sharp, who is quite quite an esteemed celebrity journalist in Australia, reached out to several people in Roxy's orbit, Mm. including her father, including women who had worked with her for years, including former friends, so on and so forth. And the picture that was painted of her in this book was far from flattering. It was a very interesting, jarring read, if I'm really honest. And one of the things that really gripped me and stuck with me is that Even on The Celebrity Apprentice, which was in 2013, if my memory serves me correctly, she admitted she's never taken a commercial flight in her life. She has Mm. only ever flown privately. She walked around the Qantas Lounge, which is something I've never been in because that's too fancy a flight for me. She walks around being like, is this stuff free? What is this? What is this madness going on in an airport? And that's what I think riles a lot of people up as well because she goes out and says that type of thing. She came from an insanely wealthy family. Both of her parents were in the fashion importing business and made a huge amount of money. And then on the other hand, she's saying, I was never handed anything. I am purely self-made. I have built all this from the ground up when it's not true. A lot of the facts don't add up with that. Really, she's an incredibly privileged, Sydney-born, Sydney-bred girl who was given a lot of opportunities that she doesn't really seem to acknowledge at all. And as you know, that's my biggest pet peeve. Well, I had no idea about this until I really, when I got into reading for this, for this podcast episode, I have only ever heard quotes of her saying that she was never handed anything, that she did build this empire from the ground up. In reality, in 2011, BRM magazine estimated her parents' wealth before their divorce sat at about $40 million. Now, that's not your average wealthy. That's pretty wealthy. No, and they gave her a huge office space to use rent-free from the beginning of her empire. Which I think is a very important point to make because – where she didn't spend money on rent or office space, she could therefore invest in perhaps new employees or an accountant or an, or a lawyer for the business, which people should probably acknowledge. I, that really bothers me that, that that has never really been part of the main conversation around her success. Also, it's kind of the conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Elise Knowles's book in that, yeah, if, if you're looking at the numbers and maybe your parents didn't actually hand you 50 grand in cash straight into your pocket, but at the end of the day, it's the relationships that come with growing up in that area. It's the contacts that you already have. It is the office space that you got for free. Acknowledge that. Yeah, of course. Because a lot of that comes with a lot of privilege, which therefore feeds into the success of your business indirectly, whether you like it or not. Mm, I totally agree. Some of the details that were revealed in that book, which we should say, unauthorized biography, cannot stress that enough. This has not been authorized by Roxy Jusenko. Who knows? There might have been plenty of things in that book that were either inaccurate or false. However, one of the really interesting stories, which was picked up by media publications at the time and run as an extract, was that even Roxy's relationship had very unusual beginnings. Did you find this interesting? Mm. Yes. Yes. So I'm not sure if anyone remembers that when Lara Bingle was everyone in remembers this. Lara Bingle's best friend Hermione. Hermione Underwood. You love stars Hermione of Underwood. the best reality show of all time. Yes. Hermione Underwood was actually engaged to Oliver Curtis when Roxy met him. They ran off together. The wedding invites had already been sent out for Hermione and Oliver's wedding. Oliver's family supposedly adored Hermione and within one night he had ended it all for Roxy. So says Annette Sharp. But the facts remain that he was with Hermione and then he was with Roxy. And sources who were there. Yes, exactly. What I find interesting about this book in particular is there's a lot of – there's there's quite a few conversations around Roxy burning bridges very easily. I know that there's a lot of conversation around Sweaty Betty and employees leaving that company unhappy um, and her severing relationships the minute they walk out the door. So there's going to be a lot of unhappy people out there wanting to talk because they are bitter or they're angry or she has just burned every bridge. 
I wonder if, if it's such a spectacle truly to have a basically all white PR office, all blonde, all of these girls who look like clones of each other, who are going out with each other on the weekends, who are best friends with Roxy, and then suddenly the relationships fall apart. It is very interesting, but I'm wondering if we're so interested because they're all women, it's very bitchy, and therefore it's a little gendered too. Maybe, but then I don't know if we can look at a situation like this and say, well, maybe it is bitchy. Who knows? Like, totally. I, I wouldn't doubt it at all to be completely transparent. But that's not and really honest. the point. It's not that it's bitchy because I think there are all male workplaces that are tough mm. and uh, nasty and are ruthless. And ruthless. But it's not the same spectacle. Mm. Well, I do find it really interesting. So when she's been pressed in the past on what people call, in quotes, her image problem, Roxy's response has been, jealousy is a curse. And I do find that really interesting because I'm not entirely sure this is a jealousy thing at all. I think this is a morality thing. I agree. So many people looking at her, particularly women, feel very conflicted, not just about sharing her daughter online and what some people are calling pimping her daughter out online since when she was born. I'm not sure I agree with that, but that's one of the opinions out there. Mm. But also just this ridiculous extravagance when so many people don't have that money or that wealth and she flaunts it. A a former employee told Annette Sharp in this uh, book, she doesn't really care about how smart you are. She used to say, do you want to be driving a Holden or a Ferrari when she was picking who she'd be hiring? And I think that attitude towards money, just more is more is more, is very, very off-putting to a lot of Australians who come from quite humble beginnings. I understand all of that, but at the end of the day, we live in a capitalist society and the richer you are, the better off you are. I am stuck on the idea that, yes, she might over-promote her children. Yes, she might be very crass about money. I mean, I know in this profile with the AFR, she was happy to tell them that when she does her Roxy's Tips and Tricks seminars, they make her 180 grand profit every time. She might do all of this stuff, but at the end of the day, what's it to us? Truly. I know that makes me sound a little like Pollyanna, but what is it to us? It feels like everybody else is projecting all of their own insecurities onto her, myself included, for sure. She's not really hurting anyone. And if she is, it's in her private circle. And that doesn't really have anything to do with us. No, of course. But when you're saying, what is it to us? We're not the ones who, like, we're fine. If I see a rich person on the street walking around Brighton, But there's so much hate for that. And there's so much distaste. For someone just driving around a Mercedes, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of hate for that person. For someone walking out and going, did you know this car was $95,000? And then still I'm, the same thing. It's not it's the still, same thing. It is the same thing. It's mm. still just flaunting money. No, again, And it's like, why do people get angry about that? That's what gets me. Why do people get angry? Mm. Why do people hate her for it? It doesn't make any sense. It's just us projecting. And like I said, when I say us projecting, it's me too. Mm. I'm I, not sure. I think someone being that showy, I think there's a difference between having nice things and constantly pointing towards those things and showing the world again and again and again how many nice things you have and how many Birkin bags but you have. But what's the issue? Well, the issue is that's off-putting. You can have your nice totally, things Totally, but what I'm them. saying is exactly the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's off-putting because it's our insecurities about it. Mm, I'm not sure if it's that or if it's narcissism. Again, if well, it's materialism you, and it's things that people don't value. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think it's narcissism, but I think in a country like America, she would thrive. Yeah, agree. I think it is interesting how calculated Roxy Jusenko is in keeping the media close. So mm. we do have a a bit of insight into this, that we have actually both received flowers from Roxy in the past. We simply wrote stories about her that weren't nasty Mm. and received not just small bouquets. The world's biggest bunches. The world's biggest bunches with handwritten notes. Obviously not from Roxy. They were written as if they were from Roxy, (laughs) but they were probably done by a florist. And something like that, when you're a young journalist, makes you go, oh, wow, I'm seen by this celebrity. It's incredibly flattering. It we're, is. I mean, we're not going to lie about that. If you're 22 and you're writing a story and one of the most talked about people in the country send you flowers for a story that you have written about them, meaning that they have read your work, it is flattering. And it would be a lie to assume or it would be remiss of both of us to assume that that's not going to colour 
people's perception of her when they're working in the industry. God, no, it's so clever. And it's taken me a bit of time and distance to realise how calculated that is and how clever it was, given that we were speaking to women every single day. But she does come down very hard on the media companies who don't represent her in the best light. So since 2009, she's threatened so many Australian publications with defamation. So the Sydney Morning Herald, the Herald, A Current Affair, a whole string of media outlets who have tainted her reputation or perhaps printed things that she didn't want to be printed. It's a very unusual relationship. She seems to have very close ties with some people in the media and very tenuous, strained links with other people in the Which media. Which I think is very much reflected in the media companies that are kind to her and the ones that are willing to be quite cutting about her. And you can, mm. you can read between the lines and find that yourself. She was also, we should mention, very quick on the emails. If we have ever needed anything from her, a quote, a question, she honestly replies within about 10 minutes. And that is across the media. She is renowned for getting back to you with a quote within 20 minutes, which I think is one of the the best things for a journalist and flattering in and of itself. Because if you're pushing to get a story out and you are needing quotes, people aren't that fast. That is remarkably quick for somebody as busy as she is. And she will give you everything you want to know. Straight away. Yeah, of course. And that is so helpful when you are moving so quickly. It also reminds me of the hate following segment we mentioned a while ago, because I'd love to know how many of the people who follow Roxy Jusenko's life love her and genuinely want to see her updates every day. And how many of them actually have that bit of a hate following feeling when they scroll through and see her stuff? I think it's that idea of it being a spectacle or kind of like this unreal show that you uh, have a front row seat to. There was a great piece in the AFR in 2016, actually, by Joe Aston, and he said, criticizing a self-promoter for their success at self-promotion defies logic, which is an interesting perspective that I hadn't really considered in that the biggest criticism about Roxy's success goes to the very crux of why she's so successful. I don't know. I, I'm in many minds about this, and I know I went pretty hard before in that what is it with us that, that makes us revile so many of the things that she does. But I think that's it's me definitely trying to sort of psychoanalyze myself as well because I do feel deeply uncomfortable about some of the things that she does. And I think it's important that we try to work out what is the root cause of, of so much of our disdain. Yeah, I totally agree. It is such a puzzling one for me because I vacillate between the two. All the time. All the time. I wonder also if it's just that famous Australians, we expect them to be the everyman and she is so far from the everyman. She's different and she's not apologetic for that. We've been welcomed into the world of Scarlet Magazine's Cat, Jane and Sutton, and we are a tiny bit obsessed. If you haven't watched Stan's new millennial drama, The Bold Type, we're guessing you've heard a whole lot about it. Zara, how have you found the show that people our age cannot stop talking about? Brilliant. For one, I think we should be careful to say that we promise we won't spoil anything during this segment. So if you haven't watched it, do not stress. We will do our absolute best. I think this is the most subtly political show I've ever consumed in that it is so fluffy on the outside and so fun and frivolous, but every single episode deals with such a major political issue that I sort of haven't seen many other people do, apart from the shows that sort of sell themselves on the political. Absolutely. I think you're really right about that. I also think it. I've never seen a show nail diversity oh my gosh. in such an awesome way. Yeah. Honestly, like the gender diversity, the cultural diversity, the sexualities. I haven't seen too much, too many people with disabilities yet, I don't think, but maybe that will come next. They've done such a kick-ass job of giving us a diverse cast that looks like the world that you walk around in, which is so important. Well, I think it does everything that we've been pleading for television and film and the media to do, to be inclusive, to tell a broad range of stories and to tell many young women's stories, not just sort of one woman's story, which has happened for years and years and years and years. I also think it does a very good job of telling stories I had never seen on TV before, but in a way that doesn't feel forced. And I think this is a very good message to any TV exec in that this is how you do diversity. This is how you tell a broad range of stories. And this is how you do it without it seeming forced or like it's shoving something down our throats. I think there's this sense that if media companies or 
fashion brands or whoever it might be start to amp up their sense of diversity, that it will seem tokenistic gimmicky. or gimmicky, absolutely, or something of the sort. And I think people think it won't mold that well. It will feel jarring. It does not at all. It just feels natural and exactly, as you said, like a reflection of the world that we live in. Mm. I, d- I just could not believe – I had heard so many people talk about it and I literally downloaded Stan just so I could get <laughs> – a slice of what everyone was talking about. I could not believe how much I enjoyed it. Not only because, and I thought it might have been because it's our industry mm. and we obviously have an inherent interest in women's media, but then everyone I've spoken to our age has just lapped it up because it is so relevant and it is so on point to what women our age and our demographic are actually talking about. I have kind of watched some of the episodes and felt that niggling feeling where I'm like, oh, it doesn't really happen like that in the industry. There are a few inaccuracies. But some of the stuff have got bang on as well, just little things about working. What were the inaccuracies that sort of niggled you? I'll cover the stuff I love first. I loved how they did they do the pitch meetings because the way they represent pitch meetings with how ruthless they can be where you're all sitting in a round <laughs> table true. and the editor's there and they go, right, what's your pitch? And you start rumbling off some headline. She goes, no, nah, what, what else you got? Or, or maybe give me something more. What else is in the story? And you think, well, that's sort of all I had with the story. That's where I thought it was. <laughs> there is nothing like the mad rush to a morning meeting, searching on your phone, trying to absorb all the news you can to be like, I do not think have a fucking ideas. pitch for this morning. That they get so bang on. I also think the push and pull between as a junior writer or as a writer in general, wanting to write stories that are worthy and then needing to write stories that will actually be read and get eyes on them. Mm. I think the struggle that Jane goes through at times, needing to write a story that the editor has given her that she doesn't feel passionate about. That's something we've both experienced. and Absolutely. But also I felt very, very invested in the storyline that Jane was talking about when she was giving up her personal brand in order to write stories. And I have felt that so much because I am by default very private. And the more I thought about this, the more I don't think this is journalism specific. I mean, sure, not everybody is writing stories about themselves, but I have found it very confronting every so often writing a story about myself. But sort of the push and pull between writing a story that's very important, that's going to help a lot of people, that also gives up a bit of your privacy. I think people find that a lot on social media. Mm. Do I tell this story about myself, whether it be on an Instagram story or an Instagram feed post that could help a lot of women? Or am I going to be seen as just willing to expose my privacy at any cost? I think that is very relevant across the board. Absolutely. What were the things that niggled at you as being not quite accurate for the industry? Um, being able to leave your desk. <laughs> <laughs> all these like outings to go get being lunch Being able and to stuff. pitch directly to the editor-in-chief and the editor-in-chief oh. having all the time in the world for you. I wish that was the case. This editor-in-chief seems to have unlimited time. Just for anyone wondering, the editor-in-chief normally is never at her desk because she's constantly in meetings, meetings. She's with the other face people. of the brand. And if you're a junior writer, you're lucky if the editor-in-chief <laughs> knows who you are. Like, you're lucky if you walk into the building and she doesn't think, who is this imposter? I've never seen her before in my life, let alone knows you on a first-name basis and chats to you every day. That's one of the things that was missing. There are pillar editors. Like, there was no lifestyle editor. Yeah, I know. Where's the beauty editor? I understand it's a bit confusing for a TV show to have too many characters. I know there was a little bit of talk in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, if I can plug it. Plug, plug, plug. About the fact that Kat is a department head at 25 and a lot of people found that unrealistic. I didn't find that unrealistic at all because she's the head of social media department. And I think you'll find a lot of young, fresh media companies with department heads that young. Mm, Absolutely. I think you can grow quite quickly in a company that agile and in women's media or in digital because media. Because the industry is moving so fast. They need people that understand the the game. Yeah. So I thought that that commentary was very interesting and in that people found it unrealistic, but I did not at all. Mm. I, my, I think my favorite thread of the show, which I had never really seen before on TV, is this idea of mentorship, which comes down to, in the show, the relationship between Jacqueline, the editor-in-chief, and sort of Sutton, Cat and Jane, women do lift each other up. I don't think any of us would get anywhere without it. And there's such a strong sort of sense that when a woman gets to where she wants to go, she sort of just looks after herself. And we, for all, we talk about women lifting each other up. So often we also talk about how not enough women do it. This is a brilliant storyline in looking at how important it is for people in senior positions to empower the younger 
the younger people and the younger generation. I know we would not be sitting here without half the mentors that we have had or people just pushing us to do it and telling us that we can. Mm. It is the most important thing for any young person in any workplace. And it was just so lovely that Jacqueline wasn't a Devil Wears Prada-esque character because she minute she walked into that first frame, did you think that that's how she was going to be portrayed? Yeah, absolutely. And I heard Radio Grabs as well where they literally pulled out that quote where she's like, Beyonce... I'll get her later. And it sounded like she was going to be some diva editor who wasn't very likable, but her character has been glorious. The most likable character, I think, on the whole show. They have flipped that storyline where a boss has to be nasty. And a female boss to, has to be nasty. Has to be nasty and has to be very obsessed with power on its head. And it is so good to see for young girls. It is so good to see. Absolutely. I just love all the subtle call outs about white men in suits making all the decisions. And yeah. I loved the episode. Episode. We won't go too far into it for those who haven't seen that looked at how insidious white privilege can be, even yeah. for those who are very woke and very uh, educated on what racism and very class good. and privilege does. I think that episode was awesome. Just as another little thing, I felt very validated when the editor butchered her article <laughs> and her headline and her words because that happens. That I've seen that happen to other writers, not so much myself, but you can see the frustration in producing a piece of work and then seeing how it gets wrapped up in a little bow and being like, fuck, I didn't say that at all. That has happened to me before and I thought straight away, take my fucking name off it. Totally. That's not my work. Yeah. I've seen you fight for your name to not be on things because they were totally taken butchered. out of context. It yep. is it's quite horrifying as a young journalist to feel that. It's also humbling in that your opinion is not always right and they probably do know better, but it is very hard. I have to say the my one of my favorite episodes and I like I said I'm not going to spoil it but there is an episode I think I don't even know when it is but where Sutton and Jane are disagreeing for an entire episode on a very key mm. political issue and it is really good for young people to see that you can very much disagree about fundamental political ideas and still be friends with someone. I know when I was growing up or sort of when I was between the ages of maybe 18 and 21, you read a lot online about how you should sever ties with people who don't serve you or you should really start analysing the friendships that you have. Why are you friends with people? Are you friends with them because you've always been friends with them or are you friends with them because they add to your life? And I think can, there can be a misconception where – Young people can just assume that if people do have fundamentally different ideas about things, then maybe we just might not aren't meant to grow old together. Mm. And I have felt that with people in my life. I mean, we have such different ideas about things. Am I just here because I've always been here or is this a really good relationship? That was a really good storyline to me because I thought you absolutely can have wildly different ideas about things and it's important that you keep those relationships. It's interesting you bring that up as well because that's something I felt even with the state election that just happened over the weekend yeah. that you can be so close with people. You can be dating someone or be best friends with someone and their political ideas and beliefs can be so polar opposite to your own. But instead of just thinking, well, I can't be friends with you or I can't associate with you, which is probably something I would have believed at 18. That is something. And that's what I was embarrassed to admit is I absolutely would have thought that. Yeah. Then. It's more important to actually realize why you both have different opinions and talk about and actually have a robust discussion as to why you believe what you believe. And keep them close. Mm. I think people have reasons for believing what they do. And in that episode in particular, those two women had very important important stories as to why they believed what they did. And, and in that moment, I mean, because I agreed with one of them and not the other, I did sort of think uh, that that excuse is better. But I don't know. I think this show has an amazing ability to be political without being preachy. And granted, maybe that's because I agree with almost all of their political stances. It's very left. Oh, I love it, though. It's that's just why so I like good. it. So maybe I don't find it preachy because I'm like, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> Preach this. <laughs> but I wonder if someone who sort of did have different ideas politically would find it preachy. I still don't think they would. It doesn't shove it down your throat, or does it? We don't exactly have many conservatives in our podcast group. No, so I'm not sure so we'll none find of us out. can check ourselves. <laughs> who, we'll finish with a uh, bit of a sugary question because we've been yabbering on for a long time. Which of the characters are Ooh. you most like, Sutton, Jane, or Cat? Um, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> Who do you think you are? I, I, think I think you're, now this will sound weird, obviously taking out the sexuality and all that type of stuff. I think you're a cat type really? of character at work. I uh, think you are at work. Interesting. Who do you think you are? 
Uh, I think I'm a cat as well. I was well. going to say, I, I, I think you are too. Yeah, I think I am. Jane rubs me the wrong way sometimes when she turns Same. her nose up at different opportunities. I'm I, like, just fucking I write think the article. She takes herself too seriously, yes. which is what I really, really like about Sutton in that she doesn't take herself that seriously, but still works very hard. Sutton parties too much for me where I'm like, I just wouldn't be oh, able to get out of Also bed. unrealistic. Nobody drinks that much on a school night and turns up to work. Please. Nobody has the money to do it in this industry. You cannot go for cocktails on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night and have money to fund yourself on the weekend mm. that is another unrealistic aspect of the show but alas still a great one still the best guys thank you so so much for joining us for episode 37 before we go as you know we're a little independent podcast yada 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 we say this every single week if you love shameless and you want to help us grow please click subscribe on your podcast app that helps new listeners find our show every single week You can also just tell a friend, tell as many people as you like, invite them to our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, or just send this episode on a text message. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast, and we will be in your ears a little less sleepy, a little more on time next week for episode 38. 38 and we'll also be having our special bonus episode in conversation with another celebrity guest this week on thursday we will be in your ears all of those times (laughs) see you then in the newsletter we just can't go away i need to nap i'm gonna go sleep for a thousand years bye-bye Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.